Hey, I'm Danny Stover, and this is Today in TO, a podcast that takes a look at the biggest stories in the city and connects the dots on what's going on. And there's nothing like enjoying a cold can of dots in the park. And you're allowed now. Sort of. On today's episode, you'll get the details on the work action that's closed 27 Metro grocery store locations across the GTA this week. And just to be clear, I support the workers and their right to strike. Also, why do Ontario craft brewers pay the most in taxes than any other province in Canada? And how could this impact the future of the industry here? You'll find out. Plus, the story behind Toronto's first brewery that opened up at the turn of the 19th century. That's all coming up on Today in TO. You may have noticed that your local Metro grocery store has been closed and that the folks who would normally be inside the store working are instead outside striking. Here's Lana Payne, National President of Unifor. Unfortunately, we are living in a time right now where working people, particularly working people at grocery stores, are just not making ends meet. Interest rates, inflation, CEO profits soaring, profits in terms of what corporations are gaining, soaring, while our members are struggling to get by. More than 3,000 frontline grocery store workers at 27 metro locations across the GTA began strike action on Saturday after rejecting a tentative collective agreement reached last week between the company and their union, Unifor Local 414. Interest rates, inflation, corporation and CEO profits soaring are all to be considered here. And many of the workers are not even able to afford the food they put on the shelves or wring through the cash. Many say they can't afford to live in the city they work in, and they're turning to food banks. It's unacceptable. Over the weekend, Unifor endorsed a deal with Metro that the membership did not support, as it's not enough for the workers to live on or support their families. 70% of jobs are only part-time, and the average pay is between $16 and $17 an hour. For the past couple of decades, there have been small bumps in pay, according to Unifor Local 414 President Gord Curry. 30 cents, 35 cents. And that's uh, pretty well been uh, what they've done in the last 20 years. And whether it's right or wrong, but they Mm -hmm. were always ratified. So imagine taking a deal back with 375 in four years and it gets turned down. So the, the members have spoken and they want more money. They want it up front in that first year. Another piece of this is the fact that, as Barry Eidlin points out, He's a professor of sociology at McGill. It has to do with timing. We're living in a different moment now. And I think that what we're seeing now is members sort of pushing back, even against their union leadership, saying, you know, no, this isn't good enough. We've taken our lumps, you know, through the pandemic. We've uh, been, you know, we've seen our wages stagnating. We've been, you know, mistreated. You know, our, our job security is eroding and we need more now. And it's not like these companies don't have the money. Just last quarter, Metro's profits increased by more than 10% over the first quarter of the year. They posted a net income of $218.8 million with total sales at just over $4.5 billion. Those figures were up from $198 million and $4.27 billion last year. Those are dollars. 
Dr. Sylvain Charlebois is director of the Agri-Food Lab at Dalhousie U, and he thinks that this recent pushback could change the way grocery stores actually do business. The grocery business is very much about a low-margin, high-volume environment. Uh, margins are typically 2 3%. And uh, if you actually raise wages, you are likely compromising margins. So the way you manage stores may very well change if workers um, have their way. I think I would be more sympathetic to grocery stores if it didn't cost me $9 for a carton of cream. So I think it's safe to say that some people are getting paid, even if the margins are small. I think that employees are pretty smart because they know they have a lot of political capital right now. Everyone is sympathizing with them. And and frankly, over the years, uh, I actually think that grocers uh, have, have not gained the ability to read the room, uh, giving major uh, corporate bonuses to top executives. In, in Metro's case, last year, they gave 137 million dollars to uh, to their top five uh, white male executives. I mean, that's just <laughs> something that people are willing to accept at this point. And, and Loblaw has done, uh, has done the same thing as well. So, I mean, those are the kinds of things that really get uh, union workers riled up. So I'm not surprised that they're going ahead with the strike here. So what's next? While the company says they remain committed to the bargaining process, though they were disappointed that employees rejected their offer, and Metro grocery workers are not the only ones represented by Unifor Local 414. So this could be the beginning of a season of strikes when it comes to this essential industry. For uh, our negotiations, we go in with uh, Loblaws in October, November, and uh, you know, do we not think that the members from those stores, we've already had a few calling, hey, we want the same. So it just, you know, it trickles down, right? And when people see what's going on here, uh, I believe that we're going to have some issues when we get into bargaining down the road. But that's a good problem to have, I think. This is a good contract. Don't get me wrong. It's a good contract now, but it's not enough that people are saying. So, you know, already I would say this, uh, I know this uh, deal that we have with Metro, and even before we got this deal, it's one of the best contracts in the grocery stores. In the meantime, Metro Ontario said the 27 stores will be closed for the duration of the strike, though pharmacies will remain open. But it raises a good question. What are they going to do with their unsold surplus perishable food? Global News anchor Dave Bradley can answer that one for you. There's no end yet to the strike by about 3,700 workers at Metro grocery stores in the GTA, and that means 27 stores are still closed. They have been since Saturday. The question about what happens to the food inside those stores has been raised several times, but now we know. This will be a bump for uh, food donations. Some of the perishables have been moved to non-unionized stores, while the rest is being donated to the Daily Bread Food Bank before it goes bad. What has been good out of this difficult circumstance is the fact that both the union and uh, the employer have said it makes fundamental sense that goods that are perishable get to the Daily Bread Food Bank so we can get it to individuals all across the city who are currently experiencing poverty. Neil Hetherington is from the Daily Bread and was speaking with Global News. He says they have brought in additional freezers to store some of the stuff so it passes health and safety regulations before going out to the people who need it. Coming up, you can now do something legally that you were probably already doing or going to do anyway. 
and why the Ontario craft brewers are calling on the provincial government to give them a break on their taxes. There are a couple of ways you can help them out too. More on that after this. Did you know that the craft beer industry contributes almost $1 billion annually to Ontario's economy? That's a lot of beer. But it's also a lot of jobs, tourism, and outreach. In fact, 90% of us in Ontario have a brick-and-mortar craft brewery in our community. And these local businesses employ more than 11,500 people. And it's estimated that 31,000 Ontarians live in a household supported by the industry. And even if you don't drink beer, these places are an integral part of our neighborhoods. They are hubs. They host events. They give back. They support farmers and growers and podcasts. I might not shop at the local toy shop or men's clothing store in my neighborhood, but I'm sure glad they're there. Back to the brews. It's not exactly easy being a craft brewer in this province right now. And that is because of all the taxes. Here's Troy Birch. Senior Manager in Sales and Business Development at Crate Lakes Brewery on what it's like being a craft brewer in Ontario right now. It's amazing being a craft brewery in Ontario right now. We have, uh, you know, 338 brick and mortar craft breweries across the province. And uh, we have amazing quality, amazing diversity and styles. And there's a lot of positive things happening in the industry right now. On uh, the flip side of the coin is um, with the cost of every everything going up, ingredients, equipment, uh, you name it, it's everything's going up. And we're taking a hard look at taxation in this province uh, when it comes to beer tax. And uh, Ontario, unfortunately, Ontario breweries pay the highest tax rate in all of Canada uh, just to, to put our beer into cans to get to consumers' lips. So uh, we want people to know about that, and we want um, consumers, when they look at, oh, price of beer keeps going up, there's a reason behind that. And one of the biggest things is taxation. And craft beer in Ontario is the largest uh, growing, fastest growing manufacturing segment uh, from 2010 to 2019. And we think we can get back to that, but we just need some help when it comes to taxes. Great Lakes has taken an active role alongside some more established breweries in the province, as well as the Ontario Craft Brewers, which is an organization representing more than 110 independent breweries across the province. The answer to the question, how high is this beer tax, is really not simple. And that's part of the problem. In fact, Troy says it's astonishing how complicated the tax structure is in Ontario. There's three levels of taxation. There's uh, your basic beer tax, which is a set amount. Then there's a beer volume tax, which is another set amount. And then you have a beer can tax on top of a deposit fee. So when you're sitting down at the end of the, the month, to do your books, you're looking at three different prices, three different, uh, okay, I got to pull this number over here. When we look at Alberta or BC, it's this is what we produce. Here's the amount you pay. It's a one taxation system. And unfortunately, in Ontario, it's just cumbersome. And uh, a lot of breweries on the small scale, they're doing everything themselves, whether that be a delivery driver, sales and marketing, making the beer, pouring the beer for customers in the tap room. And then they have to sit down to figure out, okay, how much beer did I put into cans? Now I got to put that number on here. How much of it was draft versus non-draft? 
There's a different number. So it's very convoluted and we could be doing better in Ontario for craft brewers who, by the way, employ more than 80% of the beer industry, yet we only have approximately 11% of all sales in Ontario. So under these current structures, a small brewery in Ontario would be paying the same tax rates as big brewers. This shakes out to nearly $80 per hectoliter. In Alberta, for example, you would be paying $10 a hectoliter. So that's one part of this, but there's more. One thing that we have in Ontario that's very uh, outdated, it's uh, there's no real need for it. It's essentially a tax on all small brewers um, is this thing called a beer can tax. So in the in the early 80s, the government imposed a 10 cent fee for all um, products put into cans, but they only did it for alcohol products. And it, they did that so that European, the cheap European beers coming in and the American canned beer coming in, uh, they wanted to protect the standardized bottles that the beer store, the big multinational brewers uh, were using predominantly at the time. So they put this in, this this uh, nine cent uh, can tax, and it's still here to this day. So this is a long-winded way of saying we got to get rid of the beer can tax. We're the only industry that pays it. It's not needed. We already pay the deposit return fee and the two cent recycling uh, empty container disposal fee. So um, we can get rid of that. And that'll help put money back into small brewers from Ottawa to Niagara Falls and Windsor to uh, Kenora. Uh, down here to Toronto. And that's a lot of investment we can put back into our breweries to bring in new uh, tourism dollars, to invest in better equipment that can uh, have more efficiencies, better quality. Uh, Everyone wins. So let's say you buy a can of beer from the Great Lakes Brew Pub at 12 Lower Jarvis, and it costs you $3.35. 85 cents of that is provincial fees and taxes. That's almost $5 per six-pack that the brewery has to pay. And for a company like Great Lakes, they're committed to keeping prices low and not putting that additional cost back on the customer. This is one way where Great Lakes has recognized that some taxation help, a reform of the structure and the the nine-cent can levy. Uh, could really help us with uh, with growth. And as it stands right now, once you hit 49,000 hectoliters in, in Ontario, your tax rate goes from $79 to $129. And it's known in the industry as Cell Valley, where you want to grow to a certain size, but in order to grow, uh, you need to invest in equipment. While you do that, you're paying higher and higher taxes. So what can be done to help? Ontario craft brewers have two main asks, and they're both fairly easy. One is to support local, buy local beer, shop at your neighborhood breweries. The other is to contact your member of provincial parliament. And if that seems a little more daunting, head to keepcraftbeerlocal.ca. They've made it very easy for you, and you can send a letter to your MPP asking for their help in keeping craft beer local in just a few clicks. Now, one more question, because it's a special day in Toronto. I asked Troy his thoughts on the fact that Toronto will now allow personal consumption of alcohol in 27 parks in the city. I'll say diplomatically, people are doing it anyway. Um, And everyone across the city knows that this has been going on for years. I think those that would abuse uh, drinking in parks are still going to. 
but that was happening before. And we've always found that the more you prohibit something, the more it gets abused. So if it's happening already, I say let them drink their beer. You've heard me talk about this pilot before, and it's been a long time coming. But a couple of weeks ago, after much too much discussion, counselors voted to approve this pilot. So it, it behooves us to have a look at it, to explore it. And we're doing it in in the Toronto way. Pilot programs are us. That was Shelley Carroll. She was one of the OG counselors to table this motion to greenlight the consumption of alcohol in parks. So here's the deal. Starting Wednesday, August 2nd until October 9th, you can personally consume alcohol if you wish and are of age to do so, obviously, in 27 public parks across Toronto, including Trinity Bellwoods, Christie Pitts, Riverdale East, Greenwood, and Morningside Park, to name a few. Now, if you are going to enjoy a beverage at a park this summer, just, um, you know, try to keep it down because as counselor Frances Nunziata points out, drinking comes with loud music uh, most of the time. Does she know how to party or what? Now, when it comes to Toronto's history of beer, the city's first brewmaster was a man named Robert Henderson. And at the turn of the 19th century, he opened Toronto's first brewery at Caroline and Duchess. Oh, sorry, I'm uh, I'm using an old map. That is what uh, us old timers call Sherborne and Richmond. Producer Glenn Bergonier has more. And it might come off as a big surprise to hear that one of the main reasons Henderson decided to open up this brewery was to supply the British with Canadian beer. Yeah, okay. I'm I'm oversimplifying it just a little bit. Let me explain. Back in the turn of the 19th century, when Toronto was still known as York, Fort York was actually home to British soldiers, and here's a little fun fact for you. Beer was actually included in the pay for British soldiers to the tune of six pints a day. So these soldiers were there to defend the recently appointed capital of Upper Canada from a potential American invasion or attack. Which, by the way, did become a reality in 1812, and a follow-up attack in 1813 which led to the American occupation of not only Fort York, but the city of York for six days. But back to Robert Henderson. Before he opened his shop up, beer used to be shipped into York by boat, along with other essential items such as pork and butter. And that's only if you don't include the stuff that was being made in people's backyard, which, by the way, a lot of it was at that time. But around 1800, although some accounts suggest it could have been as late as 1815, Henderson decided he wanted to eliminate the middlemen and provide not only for the soldiers of Fort York, but for the growing population of York entirely. So he opened up what became known as Henderson's Brewery on the northeast corner of what we now know as Sherburne and Richmond Street, just down the street from Moss Park, actually. And although independent, it was by no means small, as Henderson was able to pump out an estimated 30 barrels of beer a day. And considering in its peak, there were roughly 750 British soldiers at Fort York alone who were paid about six pints of beer a day. And that's not including what the locals would enjoy after wanting a potent potable from time to time. 30 barrels a day actually seems like he might have been just scraping by with the supply he had. And then things become a little convoluted historically as Henderson passed away shortly after the opening of his brewery and... Ownership changed a few times, it was renamed a couple of times, and heck, it even got moved to a few different locations before it's believed that the original Hendersons burnt down in a fire, leaving no visible memories of its existence. And so, over 200 years later, although all signs of the original brewery are gone, 
and we don't need to pay soldiers in beer anymore. The beer scene, specifically the brewing scene in Toronto, has done anything but burn out. And Canadian beer, well that only continues to get better and better each passing day. I don't know about you, but all this talk about Robert Henderson has made me thirsty. And all this talk about taxes has made me want a beer. Of course, this podcast is brought to you by 640 Toronto and features audio from shows across the Chorus Entertainment Network. My name's Danny Stover. Today in TO is produced by me, Glenn Bergonier, and David Spargala. Amanda Capito, Jason Chapman, and Chris Dunner are advisors to the show. Join me again next week for a brand new episode. And you know what you could do in the meantime if you haven't already? You could go back and listen to some past apps. Two weeks ago, we covered the lockout that's impacting commercial actors right now. At that time, it had been going on for 15 months. Now, it's been 15 months and two weeks, and nothing's been done to help the thousands of people whose livelihoods rely on this type of work. So sometimes to move forward, you've got to go back, and that includes podcast episodes. Till next time, behave yourselves. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.